Hey, all my IFG friends, this is Steve. I want to say, you know, if you like movies like I do, we've started a new podcast called Happy Hour Flicks. Uh, you can find it anywhere podcasts are found. It's all about nostalgic movies that we love, and we bring on special guests each episode, and we also have specialty cocktails made for each one, too. So it really is an hour of a good time talking about movies that we love, like Gremlins, uh, Seven, uh, Free Willy. Uh, we talk about The Last Starfighter also. So, I mean, we kind of run the gamut across all the decades and really have a great time. So I wanted to invite you to come over and join us at Happy Hour Flicks, anywhere podcasts are found. If you are interested in you know, evolving and, and trying to do your best and each movie to be better than your previous, I mean, all the time it will be a first. You know, like I, the next movie, I don't want to be the same. I want to do it way better. So, of course, the challenges will be different and so on, so on, so on. This is the, the independent, independent, independent filmmaker's guide from Framework Productions. Framework, Framework Productions. On IFG, we talk about independent film from development through delivery. By featuring discussions with creators and collaborators about their experiences, we form a roadmap to help you have the most success with your projects. Passion, performance, and planning. Creating an independent feature takes all of them. From knowing how to get both planned and improv performances from your actors, to knowing how to light the room and prepare the camera rigs best for speed. A plethora of knowledge, experience, and gear, and of course, budget, are all needed. But as we hear from both the cinematographer and the director of the new indie feature still here, films are made with people, not equipment. Number one, you have to believe in your product. You have to believe on your movie and you have to love it so much that you have to convince them that you're the right person. That's Ana Paula Rivera, the cinematographer and a producer on the film Still Here. I will always say it. movies are made by people, not by equipment. And that's Vlad Foyer, the director, co-writer and producer for Still Here. I wanted to make a movie about the resilience and uh, of, a, of a male character. I'm your host, Stephen Pierce. Uh, who could show vulnerability, you know, and, uh, and raw strength. So uh, in the end, it's about a father who's not giving up. A father who's not giving up. Ana Paula, whenever you got the script first and uh, he first told you about the story, how, do, how are you approaching it visually? Visually, what's the vocabulary for you? For me, visually, it was incredibly important to have a camera that would completely become invisible. So you could really get into the world and then follow the characters because it's a movie that you have to follow clues, cues and, and go all around the city. So we decided to go with steady so we can have a, um, a motion that would completely go with the characters in a way that you wouldn't feel it, but yet it would take you on the right, you know? So you focus like steady cam is like your primary rigging? Yes. Most of it, let's say, um, 70% with its Steadicam and handheld. That's interesting. So how are you planning coverage in a scene? Because many times Steadicam can be a little deceptive. Like you want to get in and you always want to have that floating shot. But then whenever you're going to do your coverage or your overs, are you planning it kind of conventionally? Like where that's going? How, how are you planning those shots out? What we did is we, we rigged the whole lighting in order for the characters to have all the space available. So you would not have anything on sticks on the floor, everything was rigged above them. So they also would not see it. 
that gives a lot of the, a lot of freedom to the actors and also to the camera because whenever you would turn around um, you would have that freedom but especially we Vlad wanted to allow the characters to be able to improvise to get into the, the character and just become it which means you have to adapt and you have to just follow them so we wanted to to have that space to be able to to just react to what the characters would do and that helped us a lot with it, with covering it and we had a trick that you would keep the arm and you would keep it on some state in some um on a tripod with wheels uh so you still keep that essence that that visual movement but you have more freedom and it makes your workflow a little bit faster even like even sometimes in interiors uh i i would not i would not choose to have them on on sticks but actually really him operate the the, the steady and uh because i would let the actors to improvise and the improvisation doesn't come just you know two actors sitting face to face and talking they will stand up so we'll have people from the art department moving the table the, the steady will come put the table back so if it we turn around because at a certain point when uh improvisation will come all the marks will disappear so here we uh, you know like we had an, an amazing first ac you know like uh, um, the focus puller like was hitting the the spots like very well with basically no rehearsals on 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 those uh, on those movements and we were ready we already be, being in new york like i had probably like two or three scenes that i want to have one take and we were prepared for and they were pretty long takes um so uh i believe uh one one of them um the one with johnny and zazi in the end it did not work because of the sound issues so i was all the time we were ready to to use it you know to cut it out and to uh to cover it different. Let's talk about the screenplay first of all. A lot of improv, a lot of development with the characters and the actors. It sounds like it was happening on set and in the scene. How did, how as a writer, were you approaching that? Were you writing the beats for them or were you writing scenes and then tearing them apart and rebuilding them as the actors saw it fit? So, um, the, the, actually the script that we went into production, um, uh, change I, I i was con constantly working on, on the script uh, the way i worked with the actor actors we did not have any table reads or you know i, I don't want to make it too robotic uh I, I wanted for the actors to actually feel the character and for me to feed them as much information about the character as possible uh instead of you know learning by heart some lines just you know to feed our egos as writers that oh yeah they said our our lines there and um i allow actors to come with opinions like hey why if we you know approach this line in this way and not this way um so whatever it will have made them feel more comfortable in the shoes of the characters would make us uh, would make us happy and <clears throat> there are some scenes um Mm, for instance, when uh, Christian gets to uh, to for the first time inside of the apartment of uh, the Watsons family, um, probably half of that scene it's improvisation. Uh, he just Maurice just finished the, the lines, and uh, he was so much into the character. I, I did not want to cut, so I think we rolled for like ten fifteen minutes after that. Anapala, how are you also responding to improv? 
with you know with your work are you i mean i guess you're you weren't operating the steady cam where you? you had a had another operator yes so basically you were setting the look of a room and the look of the direction you're going to be looking more or less and then the camera plays in that plane most of the time if they're going to improv like that the thing is we lead for let's call it like 280 degrees so whatever it would happen will be will be good and yeah allow them allow them to do whatever they are good at doing and following them getting close with it with the action following the action with the camera and again if you're in steady you still do have that freedom that's the beauty of, of steady that you don't have tracks you have legs you can just like and the actors helped amazing yeah that's it was literally i i, I would describe it as a very respectful way uh, you know, from the actors for the camera operator and for the DP and, uh, um, you know, the key grip and uh, like everybody tried to do their best, like that whole apartment. Uh, I don't know when you see like a pipe that you think it's a pipe in the corner being, you know, a New York apartment, um, you think it's a pipe. It's not a pipe. It's uh, built from the arts. Uh, in order to hide uh, a, um, a stick that in the end up you have all the three almost 360 uh, lightning so yeah I, it was it was very very interesting and you know like allowing people to uh, um, you know whenever probably you have all the budget in the world you can do whatever you want but whenever you are limited in a in a certain budget time you know then then you have to improvise and i think that's the moment when beautiful things are coming out so how when you're in the middle of an improv scene like that, if you know you want to use something, so you see something you want, um, are you trying to recreate that then so you can get the coverage on it? No, I, I as well at the point whenever, if they will go off the, off the rail, uh, I will just give them a direction um, for them, you know, to go, to go back. And uh, I was, the moment when I knew that I have everything that I need in the editing room from, you know, the actual script and, uh, I would feel very comfortable. So it will be basically a bonus. It will be an extra. So on Apollo, whenever you see like a scene like unfold that has like a little bit of an improv thing into it. And so you're shooting it on a wide. Now you, do you go in to try and cover that moment in like overs then? How does it change your production plan as far as what your coverage is going to be? It all depends, obviously, even the improv of Vlad's happy with it. And if it's a go and, and it's worth it going and getting the coverage, then you go in and, and, and also get it. But you, we did get it in different ways, not in a conventional way. It's not irregular overs or like that. If not, getting more, getting tighter, getting uh, details. Because as Vlad mentioned, he already has from the from the script all of what he needs, and if he's gonna use that, then he will use it to get texture to the movie, to the film. I was pretty tight, even in the in the improvisation. Um, yeah, I, I was not like, oh, let's cover it wide and make sure and to you know to play the safeguard because. Uh, one thing about improvisation, you won't be able to get it again. So that raw acting, you have to be present and you have to catch it on the spot. You cannot ask, tell him like, hey, can you do that again? So um, I'm not afraid of, you know, long takes. I, uh, I believe that, you know, if a camera stays on the, on the face of an actor and that actor delivers you like gold, nobody cares that, oh, we are on this actor for already, you know, 45 minutes. Um, I, all the time I, I talk about, you know, when I give this example, I, I'm thinking about scent of a woman uh, with Al Pacino, whenever he, uh, he meets uh, O'Donnell in the room, you know, the camera stays so long on Al Pacino, the, 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 
the acting it's it's brilliant so you don't actually care what's happening behind it. that's a plus so if you're you're rigged on a steady cam and then you're taking the arm off the the rail off the taking the sled and the arm and fixing that to a tripod right is that kind of done i'm understanding that correctly was kind of how you were moving yeah so how are you approaching lenses like are you swapping lenses with that or are you able to maintain balance while you're swapping lenses if you're doing that no you do need to if you swap lenses you you do need to rebalance but uh, it would be a choice that whenever we would have um honestly we shot a lot, most of the of the film on 50 on 30 and, and 35 so it would be simple to do that that exchange because obviously we would get our tight shots in in a different lens but the main the main film was 50 and 35 which as Vlad said he's not a big fan of white and in a 50 or in a 35 it, I love specifically my favorite lens is 35 I think it's just perfect it gives you the emotion of the character, but at the same time, you still have your information on the back and you have the world. And that was what we were going for. Be able to follow them, to see them, to not have them either tight or 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 on a wide, if not to feel the presence as if you're in human life. Like if you're in human life, you see I, the eye equals like a 50. So then that exchange in the workflow would be easier because we hold on to those lenses, like our main, our main buddies for the film. And if you need to, to rebalance the camera, you do have the time, it's not a big deal. And you're lighting, you're so doing so many other things also, so it won't affect that much. What helps a lot is the fact that the tripod has wheels and it allows the, the steady cam operator to either rest or the camera to get in, in different places while it gets crowded. Because also remember if you're shooting on location, and in New York, it, spaces are not as big. Yeah, I've I've heard, I, I've had so many conversations on set with cinematographers that are exactly like you that I feel like I'm always like, yeah, all right, so we'll go to the close up and it'll be the the 85 or the 70, and they're like, no, 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 let's do the 35. It's just like cinematographers always love the 35 and the 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 40 and the 24. <laughs> um, it's beautiful. I think there's a beauty to a long lens that it would hold you a lot of emotion and it may give you that that specific thing that you want to see but if you use a wider lens on a close-up you bring so much more to the feel to to the frame but it always depends what you're trying to accomplish in, in each scene sometimes you just want the 85 or in an, in an extreme close-up and have everything else go back out of focus or sometimes you want that information and for us it was important to bring the information from the back as new york city also plays a role itself in the film so we also wanted to keep that background always happening in order to accentuate how the city is incredibly busy and you can be surrounded by people but in moments when you're going through a tough challenge you're still alone so you can also separate the front and the back of the film yeah, one of my favorite things about filmmaking is you can do the exact same shot on the same person with the same motion and change the change the lens and it's emotion versus perspective. Like if you're tighter, it's usually more emotional. It's more, I don't know, the compression somehow pulls, makes the world feel more visceral. But the wider adds more of a perspective and a vision and more of a, you know, what you're influencing on the scene. Vlad, how was this experience for you in relation to, you know, your other commercial music video work and short films? The first thing I would say, it's, uh, you know, holding the continuity. Uh, um, 
we jumped in a in a music video after the movie and it was I was like oh wow so easy it's what's happening here no it's it's a totally different uh, from writing the script to you know going on set and holding on to i don't know how much 27 days or something like that the whole preparation is different the whole approach is different you are not running a you know a sprint it's a marathon uh for us it was you know a pretty long marathon um we we as well we are um, some of the producers from the movie you know bringing the financing then after the movie it's done you know trying to find distribution so overall you know not just shooting but the involvement in the movie uh it's a, a totally different level uh, most likely as a short you finish the short you send it to some festivals you show it to your family and uh, that's it if you are interested in you know, evolving and and trying to do your best and each movie to be better than your previous, I mean, all the time it will be a first, you know, like I, the next movie, I don't want to be the same. I want to do it way better. So of course the challenges will be different and so on, so on, so on. My whole career, I, I'm, I'm trying to do, uh, to learn from this process, go into the next process, do it and then apply it and, and, and so on. So all the time, you know, it's not like, oh, I did a feature right now. All features will be like piece of cake. I know how to, Oh no, I think every feature is its own monster every time. What was your, so this being, what was your strategy to the degree you're comfortable sharing to finding the investment and maintain, getting your initial, getting the film up off the ground from script format to a place where you can produce it? I mean, we, um, we, we tried, you know, to, to find people that first of all will be supportive. It's, it's very important. And I don't know for all filmmakers that are looking and they, you know, try to, to uh, put and build their first feature and look for investment. Um, there are many avenues you can get financing, you know, like from tax incentives, there are a lot of grants. Um, I'm, we have some like Cine search, you know, Cine, no Cine rich, uh, in United States, but if, for instance, if you shoot in Europe, each country has grants from its from their government, and then it's the European Union, and you know, so you can build the the budget in a way that makes you comfortable. You have to get to a certain to a certain budget that you know you will achieve your movie, but in the same time, don't overspend if you know that that idea you know like you will waste money don't just raise money you know to brag that you made a five million dollar budget movie uh, i think needs to be a needs to be a balance and uh, i don't know probably the best place to start looking for money it's with the family uh, get some there uh, you know attach it to the script then go to somebody else build a little bit more maybe you can get an actor to sign and to attach um, I don't know, maybe uh, lots of people that do pre-sales. I think it, each movie is, is different and depends who, who you find. We, we've been lucky enough to have very supportive uh, uh, financiers behind us and, you know, like they, they support our, uh, our decisions and uh, the path that we, uh, we choose to take. So I think at the end uh, for us, it was, uh, it was very, uh, very rewarding again. It's, it's, uh, it's very interesting. I've heard people that they made movies with $20,000 that they look like 1 million. And I've heard people that they made $3 million budget movies that they look like 100,000. So, I believe, I believe it's very important to really have your 
feet on the ground and have a full clarity of what it is what you want to do. Exactly. Because if um, if you know your script and you know what you want to do and you know what you want to accomplish with no extras, like to really be able to see the in front of you the road clear and capitalize upon that. Don't don't put extra things of that at the end it's it's honestly just an illusion that down the road is gonna fall and it's gonna hurt you and it's gonna hurt the production and it's gonna hurt the 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 path. So if in the beginning you make sure you're grounded and your and your goal is reachable and and you're connecting your points in a very effective manner, I believe um it will make it simpler on on the on the production side. And number one, you have to believe on your product. You have to believe on your movie and you have to love it so much that you have to convince them that you're the right person to 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 be able to to receive those funds and go further and, and do that film. After that, keep on loving it and keep on loving it because it gets very hard. Like throughout the pro throughout the film, you will have so many challenges, so many moments that you're gonna wish to just by magic solve things and that doesn't happen. And that resilience is pushed through the fuel of love that you at the beginning of your film put into, that, that persistence, that passion, that love for the craft and for your story is literally what keeps you going. And if you hold on to that, everything else aligns, honestly. You just need to keep going and be able to dodge whatever you have to dodge and focus on what you have to do in order to be able to accomplish it. We were very lucky with the fact of everyone knew what they had to do. There was a, a, an inner communication between everyone and I think that is what what productions that are smaller should focus on, on being able to build a team. Because if the team is happy, if the team understands each other, if it's actually a team, then you have 50% of the job done because you don't have to micromanage every single element. I will always say it. Movies are made by people, not by equipment. Somebody with an amazing team and maybe with a DSLR, will achieve a way better movie than somebody with, I don't know what, RE, large formats, new, uh, whatever you want to try, and dollies and, cam how you call them, um, um, cranes and so on, uh, will never bring that. It's, it's beautiful. You will make visually something astonishing, but in the end, movies are about performance. This is a great opportunity to talk about resources. Do you remember how many, like what your general crew, not including cast, you know, your general crew was like how many, you know, grip and electrics, how many art department, like that, that sort of thing. I mean, we had probably like, let's say uh, grip and electric, I would say between 15 to 20. Yeah. 15 to 20 depends on the day. Then our department, same, like we had sometimes five, sometimes whenever they had to build, maybe we would not even be there while we were shooting something, they would prepare another location. Um, probably a total of like eight. Uh, overall, uh, overall, we've been probably like 100, the set, the set crew, a little bit less than, than yeah, a, li a little bit less than 100. Again, uh, it was very nice made and uh, again we we received understanding and support from a lot of people so whenever for instance we were shooting in an apartment the art department 
uh, was setting the location for the next day. And uh, Zana said, this idea of being able to, um, to light up 360 will allow us that at each scene, knowing already what's the, the scheme, you just have to make adjustments. So that G&E crew could be split in two. So, I mean, the f you have it full, you pre-light, and then half of it, they will go to the next location where you'll shoot next day, and you'll make sure the next day, whenever you get on set, you don't lose time with, with lightning and like you just jump into it. That's a pretty good uh, amount of crew. That's a that really solid uh, crew size. How many days are you all shooting in principal production? We had 25 days and uh, we did, uh, I don't know, two or three days of additional shooting, right? Three, three. Three days of additional shooting. What, um, so what was your general lighting package wall like? Talking about not having too much stuff was what you guys were just talking. Use, you know, to avoid your budget to be make sure you have what you need. If you're setting up two locations, how are you approaching that for what your package was going to be? From the beginning, we knew that we needed to to have that workflow. So we, as the first AD had the scheduling laid out, we would plan for the camera equipment and for the lighting equipment to be ready for that. So, but still keeping in mind that we could not afford many extras or many um, standing by units because no, <laughs> it is not the case. <laughs> so, uh, so we, we honestly, it was honestly very simple. It was it was a very beautiful workflow. The gaffer and the key grip were honestly amazing. Yeah, we had, we had an amazing mm -hmm. crew. Like, wow, what a amazing. talent. Shooting in New York, too, is a very difficult thing. You guys had shot, you know, sequences on the subway. You had sequences on the street. Were you ever closing those down and permitting those, or were you just were you stealing them and trying to time it? No, uh, we, we did both. Um, for instance, everything that you see with police cars and like this, it was, uh, it was, uh, closed street, not permanent, you know, intermediate, like 30 minutes. And then whenever we'll reset, uh, they will allow, you know, cars to pass. So yeah, again, huge support from the NYPD, from the film, uh, film, how, how is it called? Film and film office. Yeah. Um, right. Film <laughs> office. Yeah. Basically everything was permitted because in New York, Compare with LA, it's easier. If I put a camera in LA, it doesn't matter if we are three people around the camera. You need somebody from the film LA office. You sometimes they want a, a police officer and fire department, and all these ones are permitted different. When while in New York, you go, uh, I don't know how much or if it increased, but it was $300 overall for the whole production, right? Whereas LA is like $700 per location if you're in the, the main zone. And of course, to those $300, you add, you know, whenever you close the street, whenever you need extra units. Um, but no, I, I'm telling you, like, we were so blessed, blessed from like crew and cast to all the locations from the people from uh, uh, all the apartments that we shot, like the police station, for instance, it's not a police station, it's a church. So the art department, they did like a fabulous job transforming that church office in a, in a police department. Um, uh, so what I would say, you know, take exactly what you need, as, as we said, be as much as prepared as possible, be able and willing to adapt, but put more money into, or more time and attention into what you want to get from your actors and what you can work with the crew. 
So what is uh, what is happening now that the film is made, all post edited, all done? How does it find its home? Like as far as your distribution, what are you guys? Uh, what is your your pathway? First of all, huge shout out to the to our post house from Germany, from Berlin, the Post Republic. Like they were extremely, you know, helpful. They worked with us um, for whatever needs we uh, we we had. Um, as for distribution. Um, we basically represented the movie. We looked for the uh, for the distributor or sales agents. We had some inquiries, but in the end, we we liked Blue Fox um, as well. We have an uh, acquaintance and um, a filmmaker that had a movie with them, and uh, she told us that she was very happy with the experience. We agreed, and uh, some adjustments here and there. We made a plan plan that changed because everything happened uh, uh, in February uh, uh, around Berlin Film Festival and then right after the the pandemic came so you know they made the best out of it with what cinemas we have open and then some uh, virtual um, so so you're going virtual cinema and then is it following up uh, in like uh, domestically internationally on like TVOD platforms uh, we'll start theater uh, traditional and virtual on august 28th and then after that goes uh, goes vod uh, same in Gen- in germany goes uh, uh, theatrically and then uh, uh, vod and then uh, later in uh, december uh, it will go on stars that's great well, congratulations on the success so far, and uh, I, I can't wait to uh, tell people to go purchase and watch it on uh, on Amazon or in virtual cinema. It'd be even better, right? So there are, there are states where uh, traditional cinemas are open, and they made sure that the movie goes there. But nothing like seeing the film on the big screen, speakers, just focusing, not not being able to stop it, to check your phone, you know, like complete immersion on the story is what really allows you to feel the story, to connect with the story. So if you have it next to the theater next to you, go and watch it. It's going to be better. Yeah. So where can people follow your guys' work to see what you have coming up next? In my case, it's Instagram, Vlad Foyer. V-L-A-D-F-E-I-E-R. Same, I think, Instagram and also IMDb, um, Ana Paula Rivera. Okay, great conversation with the director and DP of Still Here. What are our takeaways? Well, I can tell you one thing that stands out to me right away was a 25-day schedule and a really decent-sized crew. So that that already sounds like they. That's why they were able to do so many locations. I think because they planned ahead and they were frog hopping. You know, pre-light here, half the crew goes the next place, starts pre-light, you catch up. I mean, you can do a lot more with that. I love that. And speaking of lighting, 360 lighting, obviously not something that will work for every film if you're going for a very specific style and look, but it worked pretty well for them and it enabled them to have the freedom to move around the room. Vlad spoke so much about improv and having improv being a big part of the performance from the actors for this. And I think 360 lighting, meaning lighting the room you're able to flip from one side with the camera to the to the other side without having to change all the lights right yeah and what vlad said too you know that you you make movies with people not gear i really you know i like that i appreciate that so much 
Oh, you're going to hear me quote that one. <laughs> I'm glad. I really like that one. So I'll, I'll give you a good reminder to, have, to, to hear whenever I'm getting into my gearhead mode. I thought it was interesting the way they shot like everything on Steadicam and then kind of put it on a tripod with the arms. So you don't have to rebalance as much. So I thought that was kind of an interesting approach. I'm not I don't know that's a tactic that I would be trying to use personally just because I I don't know. I don't know. Like I, I think that I'd kind of isolate a Steadicam shot as one thing. But if you have that in your base package, I mean, it's going to be hard to resist having or using. Well, it all comes down to what's going to work for you and your film, right? right. What, yeah, definitely. what camera should I use? The camera that's right for your film. First off, the one that you can afford. Mm-hmm. And second, the one that's going to work for you and that's going to be able to get into the equi- uh, into the locations and move fast enough for you. All of that stuff is going to be so specific to whatever you're trying to do. And like we heard the DP speak about in this film, in this conversation, that all comes down to you having that passion for your film Mm -hmm. and no one's going to fight for it and figure it out like you are. And you have to be 100% passionate about this film because that's what's going to carry you through to the finish line. Yeah. Anna Paula, the uh, Anna Paula, um, the the director of photography, she also said um, uh, something I love to hear a cinematographer say is like, don't bring too much stuff. Just you don't want to get a bunch of lights and things and then not use them. That's that's fantastic. Uh, That makes me so that makes me breathe easier. The producing side of me that's like, okay, how are we going to raise all this money? You know, exactly. Well, you know, it's like I always say, man, you know, films are made with people, not equipment. (laughs) I've heard you say that so often, and it's always a great reminder. Filmmaking is a collaborative experience, and so is this podcast. So be sure to follow us on Instagram for all upcoming episode announcements at Framework underscore Productions. There, you can also leave your questions and comments for our guests and for any topics you'd like us to cover in the future. Subscribe to Independent Filmmaker's Guide wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and let us know how you like the show with a review. It really is helpful. And if you'd like to read the credits for an episode, call us at 347-871-1559 and leave us your email. Hi, I'm Brendan Sobler, a comedy filmmaker from New York by way of Virginia. And I'm reading the credits. IFG is created by Framework Productions and directed by James Allardyce. It's produced by Matt Mundy. Edited by Audrey Ray McGale and hosted by Stephen Pierce. Music is by Glassboy. Find his music on freemusicarchive.org. See and listen to all the episodes plus bonus content at independentfilmmakersguide.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, friends, we just wanted to take a quick moment to talk about two personal things. First, we wanted to thank you, our listening community, and our wonderful guests learning so much together along the way, and continuing to learn, sharing our stories, making a lot of new friends, and collaborating, which is exactly what this is all about. Which also brings me to my second point. In great part to many of these new relationships, we wanted to let you know that we've taken a lot of this advice ourselves and made our own narrative feature film, Heard. H-E-R-D, Heard, which is premiering This October, on Friday the 13th, in select theaters, as well as on VOD. Personally, I think it's the perfect kind of scary movie to watch during our favorite scary season. So we'd love for you to celebrate with us and watch Heard. You can pre-order it on Apple TV, and of course, do the communal thing, see it in theaters. 
Of course, for all of this, please see our show notes, but basically, we're going to keep it all updated at herd.film. That's H-E-R-D dot F-I-L-M, herd.film as well. Thank you again, and be sure to give us a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to build this community and collaborate. IFG, how movies get made.